Uh, we're going to read all of Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, third book in from the beginning of the Bible, Leviticus chapter 1. Thanks, Heather. And it's on page 102 of the Pew Bibles. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall cool the bull before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall put the fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat, on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water, and the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his gift for a burnt offering is from the flock, from the sheep or the goats, he shall bring a male without blemish, and he shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar, and he shall cut it into pieces with its head and its fat, and the priest shall arrange them on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But the entrails and the legs he shall wash with water and the priest shall offer all of it and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or pigeons, and the priest shall bring it to the altar, wring off its head, and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out on the side of the altar. He shall remove its crop with its contents and cast it beside the altar on the east side in place of the ashes. He shall tear it open by its wings but, not, but shall not sever it completely and the priest shall burn it on the altar on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Amen. Uh, thanks, Heather. Keep your Bibles open there because uh, we're going to dive into this in just a moment. Let me pray. Here we go. Father, uh, we ask that you now, the author of this word, would also be our teacher. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, there's a scene in what I think is one of the greatest children's movies of all time, The Incredibles. 
It's an opening scene um, where Mr. Incredible is working as an insurance salesman. He's just stamped an insurance claim denied. And there's a little old lady saying, but I have full insurance. Mr. Incredible explains that the liability is spelt out in clause 17. That's their exclusion clause. Mr. Incredible explains that he'd like to help, but he can't. He can't, and the old lady should write this down. He can't tell her to see Norma on the third floor, and he can't tell her to fill in and file form WAS 2475 with the legal department on the second floor. Legal contracts. They're difficult, aren't they? Uh, we sign many of them, but we don't read them. Uh, we always want a plain English summary to read. And just like we find the details of contracts hard to follow, we find the details of the laws in Leviticus hard to follow. I'm convinced that most people don't bother reading Leviticus. And because of this, we actually fail to understand many things in the New Testament. Things like sin and its effects. Holiness. Atonement. Sabbaths. Worship. Leviticus, yes, it's a set of laws. It's a major part of the legal code in the covenant God makes with his people Israel. It's an arrangement, well, it's a bit like a building covenant to some extent. You know, building covenants, they're about the types of houses and fences and roofs that you must have if you build in this area. Back in Moses' time, covenants were usually made between countries often between countries who'd been at war. And the covenant was the peace deal. And often it was made after one country had conquered another. Covenants actually have a standard format. Uh, there's the preamble, what's gone on before, and perhaps the book of Genesis could be considered the preamble. There's the historical background and, and perhaps the book of Exodus itself could be considered the historical background. And Leviticus, the next book, it's the legal code for what is to be done around the tabernacle. It was the Levites who served at and around the tabernacle, which is why the book is called Leviticus. You, you get it, don't you? Levi, Leviticus. Yeah. Leviticus, as a book, talks about God. It talks about you. It talks about sacrifices, priests, and covenant living. Now, remember, the tabernacle, it was set up so that God could live with his people. So Leviticus tells us the detailed events 
which must happen so God and his people can live together. That's the plan, for God to dwell in the midst of his people, not on top of a mountain like Mount Sinai, and not far away, but actually with his people. And what we see from Leviticus is that it's difficult for God and his people to live together. It's very involved, it's very costly, but God the Father does want to see his children on a regular basis. For the Lord to be present with his people, well, what is done isn't a slumber party, let me tell you. What's done is worship. Worship of a holy God who's very particular about justice and righteousness. And the book of Leviticus, it's not actually starting a relationship with God. No, the Israelites already had that. And the book of Leviticus, it isn't about how to maintain that relationship with God. The book of Leviticus is about the day-to-day -day activities of living with God and worshipping the holy God. I think of it as describing a family and the daily and the weekly and the monthly and the annual routines that a family has. These family routines make the sacrifices the Israelites offered God very different from the pagan sacrifices. The pagan sacrifices were always an attempt to win the favour of the gods. The Israelites already had God's gracious favour. As his children, they needed to do the family things. Now, let me put it a bit like this. You know, it's, it's a bit like me. I like my tea without milk and with sugar. Two teaspoons, by the way. And my family knows that. So how do you think I would feel if my family gave me white tea without sugar. Not happy Jan. And my apologies to all Jans here. For a holy God to live with his people, you know, there's a problem which has to be resolved. The problem being that people are sinful and so unclean and unholy. They're alienated from God. Uh, to live together, there's special things which need to be done to, dare I say, clean house. If these things aren't done, then the family will quickly fall apart. Worship quickly falls apart. And so, yes, Leviticus is clear. God is holy. And for those who would approach a holy God, here's how you wipe your feet at the door. Here's how you stand. Here's where you sit. And no, you can't decide for yourself how this is going to happen. Sadly, I'm going to say that's where many people today go wrong. They think they can come to God on their terms. They just don't see the real problem of sin, which alienates and the need for reconciliation. 
So what we're going to be doing this morning is we're going to be looking at the rules and regulations for approaching a holy God. And if you've tried reading through Leviticus and you've got bogged down in all the repetition and the detail, then you've actually noticed something significant, which is for the people of Israel, approaching God was something they had to do very carefully, meticulously, in exactly the way that God specifies. For Jewish children, Leviticus was the first book of the Bible they studied. They had it drilled into them. Parents wanted their kids to be able to come to God. This was how it's to be done. You don't serve him white tea without sugar without asking him first. You approach a holy God on his terms and his terms exactly. So let's have a close look at the burnt offering as an example. Uh, this is a redemptive sacrifice. And you'll see God tells Moses exactly how he wants the Israelites to do it. Uh, there's lots of detail here, but there's some detail which actually isn't specified. Uh, pick it up, have a look. Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1. Right from the start, the Lord calls to Moses and he tells Moses, tell the people this. He's speaking from the tent of meeting. And he says, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. A sheep or a goat, or if you are very well off, maybe a young bull. And there's a list of regulations for sacrificing a bull in verses 3 through to 9, and for the sheep and goat in verses 10 through to 13. And if you were really poor, you could bring a bird, which you can read about in verse 14. And if you're really, 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 really poor, if you flip over a couple of pages to Leviticus chapter 5, verse 11, you'll see that it allows some flour to be burnt to make atonement for sins. So that there was no reason for people to not come to have their sins forgiven. Cost was not put as a barrier to having sins forgiven. The only reason why people could not come and have their sins forgiven was because they didn't want to. Uh, so let's have a look from verse 3, chapter 1. Uh, I want you to imagine this is you. Try to imagine this is you 3,000 years ago. You're an Israelite farmer. You've got your herd of maybe, well, you're well off, 30 cattle. They mill around your tent at night, mooing. You milk them every morning. Well, not the bulls. And you realise it's time to make an offering to God. Now, let's see what happens. Verse 3. You're going to make a burnt offering. It's an offering for redemption. 
And what you've got to do is bring one of your cows, not the mangy one, or the one that's limping a bit. That's the bad news, isn't it? You've got to pick your best, a male without defect. The one you'd probably had picked out as the best breeder for next year. The one you'd least like to part with. And you bring it to the tent of meeting, to the front of the tent where you meet Aaron, the high priest, and his sons, and they tell you what to do. And they say, put your hands on its head, verse 4. See it there? So you do. Now, this isn't giving that yearling a pat on the head. This is a clear and firm connection which you make with your sacrifice. And as you do it, it's like you're saying to this young bull that you're probably pretty fond of, I'm laying everything I've done wrong. I'm laying all my sin on you. Now look, it's unlikely that this was done in silence. Most likely you prayed here and confessed your sins and even repented of your sins. But we're not to told though. Uh, this is some of the detail which we're not told about. Perhaps because each worshipper's sins will be different. This is very personal. And the priest may have said something to assure you that this sacrifice will be accepted. See the end of verse 4 there? And it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. To make atonement for your sins. And the priest, he hands you a bronze-bladed knife and in verse 5, you cut its throat. Let me tell you, going to church back then was pretty messy and very noisy. But it certainly wasn't boring, was it? Animals making noises everywhere, blood spurting everywhere. And in verse 5, Aaron's sons, the priests, they get a bowl full of the blood and they start sprinkling it around the sides of the altar and even at the front of the tent of meeting itself. And you notice there's a brownie red splatter pattern all over from where they've done it before. In verse 6, you skin your burnt offering and you cut it into pieces. Verse 7, the priests light the fire on the altar. Verse 8, the priest carefully places the pieces of meat, the head on which you'd put your hand, the fat, they put it all on the fire. And while the priest is doing that, verse 9 says, you wash the bits of the animal which would be unclean. You know, the legs, because you're not sure what the animals walked in lately. And the intestines, you know, the bit that holds the poo. The washing was probably done in that big circular laver that was between the altar and the tent. And then you give those to the priests as well, and they arrange them on the fire, and they burn it all up. It goes up in smoke. 
Look, there's some main points here. It goes like this. You choose your best. You bring it. You put your hands on its head. You kill it. You cut it up. They sprinkle the blood. They burn it. It goes up in smoke. And according to verse 4, when you do that, God accepts it. Now have a close look at what it says there in verse 4 again because it is a key verse. Verse 4, he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Somehow bringing your best animal, putting your sins on its head and killing it, somehow it makes atonement for you covers over your sins. Somehow its life is taking the place of your life, at least in a symbolic way, which your holy God says, I will accept. It's a life for a life. That's why I've been saying this is about redemption, this one. The animal dies and you get to live. And you watch it all burn. It literally goes up in smoke, according to verse 9. And when it burns, says verse 9, God is pleased with it. It's a pleasing aroma. At the end of the verse, verse 9, a burnt offering, a food offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. It's as if God goes... Oh, yes. Oh, yes, that's, that's good. That's good. And you notice, because you look out for repetition. You know, it's one of those things that help us understand the Scriptures. When it's said more than once, three times in this chapter, it's said again in the next couple of chapters, in chapters 2 and 3. That pleasing aroma to the Lord. You see it there at the end of verse 13 after the section uh, about sheep and goats and there at the end of the section about uh, birds at the end of verse 17. This is the Lord accepting the whole burnt offering. God's passion about dealing with your sin, God's anger against your sin is removed and in its place is now pleasure. A pleasing aroma. Uh, this is propitiation. This is God's anger set aside. God goes, oh yeah, that's good. Look, I wonder, folk, if you can start to see what a book like Leviticus has got to say to us today. Not, not ancient Israelites, but 21st century Christians. Because we need to be discerning enough to see that some things have changed, but some things haven't. What hasn't changed? God is still a holy God. And you still can't come to him except exactly on the terms he sets out. Uh, did you know 
that you still can't approach God without the right sacrifice because you're still sinful and God is holy and your sin needs atonement. Uh, Leviticus, Leviticus, you can say, is a prophecy book. It points us to a perfect sacrifice that will come one day. And we know that as Jesus. The Lord Jesus, he's done all that Leviticus talks about once and for all. And the only reason why you didn't have to try and fit an animal, sorry to the mums and dads here, into your car this morning was because of the sacrifice of Jesus. He did a sacrifice that never had to be repeated. Jesus, remember the Lamb of God who died on the cross for my sins? The Lamb dies and I get to live? Redemption. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross becomes the pleasing aroma that the Lord accepts. Leviticus also perhaps has for us some wisdom, some things. Just going to finish up with these quickly. Uh, first, Leviticus explains in detail everything Jesus does for us. I'm going to say it's a great book to get to know Jesus through. Read Leviticus. Second, whatever you do, don't ever dream that you can front up to God on your own terms. You want to live with God. You do things his way. It is his house. You don't bring your own best efforts. Don't bring your own feeble religion. Don't bring your own good ideas. If you want to come to God, you come with and through Jesus. He is your sacrifice. He is the sacrifice that God accepts. That God goes, oh yes, that's good. And third, look, notice that the worship that's done here, the worship of a holy God, it does centres around sacrifice. It doesn't centre around music. It doesn't centre around preaching. In fact, I'm going to say that our songs and our sermons, they need to focus on Jesus or else our worship is poor. Let me pray. Father, um, thank you. Thank you, Father, for doing what was needed so that we could live together, so that you could be with me, with us. Father, help us to see all that you have done and to give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.